and welcome to Queerness in the Shadow of the Holy Cross, a Sharp Lab podcast on the intersections between faith formation and gender and sexuality at the University of Portland and other Catholic education institutions. I'm Zora. And I'm Shay. And we're so glad you're here with us today. Hello and welcome. Today we're here with Jesper. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Jesper. I am a senior environmental science student at University of Portland. I am the vice president of the Gender and Sexuality Partnership. I identify as an ex-Catholic and now an atheist. And I grew up Catholic, was raised in a very Catholic household. Both of my parents work for the church. Um, But basically just kind of stepped away from all of that i guess i'm like atheist now but it's honestly just not something that i put that much of my thought or energy into at this point in my life um in like the lgbt community i see i joke that i've like treated lgbtq plus as a checklist so i've kind of like identified as like everything at some point um (laughs) so um i'm Like right now, I am non-binary, more specifically a demi-boy. I am asexual and just like queer as an umbrella term. I'd say that's how I identify right now. But, you know, everything's fluid, so. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. No, that's that's really funny, but yeah, beautiful. (laughs) So, yeah, can you tell us like more about your experience as part of the LGBTQ community? Like, when did you realize? When did you share that knowledge with others? Again, please only share to your comfort level because obviously stories around this can be, like, really sensitive. So Yeah, I would say it's something that I've subconsciously always known, but I only really came to terms with it and kind of came out to myself and started coming out to other people when I was, like, in middle school And I'd say that was mainly because I had access to the internet and had access to the words that explained how I was feeling and those labels and just knowing that how I was feeling was an actual thing that I could be. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's And like with different groups of people... Like, my level of outness is different. So, like, my extended family is mainly I'm living my life. And if they find out, they find out. But I don't really care to come out to them right now. Um, But, like, with my close friends, they've just always known. And that's, like, a very open and honest conversation. Yeah. Shane and I made a very excited face when you said the phrase, like, you had access to the internet, so you were able to access the words that described how you felt. That idea specifically of the stories and the language that people have access to determines the way they understand themselves and their own experience. Yeah. And yeah, and that's part of what like the goal is with this. It's not necessarily terms and labels, but just experiences and knowing, like having listeners hear experiences, being like, "Oh, that's a real thing that occurs. It's not just me." Yeah. Um, cool. So how has your gender and sexuality affected your faith? Um, I would say that it depended on kind of what 
time of my life I was in and specifically how I was interacting with my faith at the time. Um, because kind of prior to high school, I was Catholic in the way that my parents dragged me to church and I went along with it. It was never like an active choice or something that I wanted to do. So in that way, it didn't really have an impact. But like once I was in high school and being like really active in my faith and like highly identified as a Christian was at church multiple times a week. Um, if I was with my sort of church friends, I had somehow managed to find any of the other queer high schoolers there and just kind of banded together. And with us as a group, it was never a big deal. Like we could all just be our authentic selves and no one was really worried about how Catholicism as a whole saw queerness, but in the congregation, like at large, it was kind of alienating, I guess. Like it kind of felt like walking on eggshells where you never really knew who genuinely cared about you as like a whole person, including your queerness or who cared about you on the outside and sort of had a facade of love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing. Um, so it kind of made me feel less of a genuine like part of the community at that church, which I kind of honestly just pushed aside while I was in the moment. And it was only after I started like deconstructing my religion that I realized how messed up that was. So just a clarifying question, you like through middle school and younger life, you were just dragged to church and then through like high school, you started to identify more with faith. Actively. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. We'll ask more about that. Okay. Um. Yeah. And then so that being kind of a retrospective now, how does your gender and sexuality experience affect your faith or lack thereof currently? I would say it honestly helped me step away from the church and stop identifying as Catholic and believing in God just because I know that so much of the church doesn't accept me for who I am, which kind of helped me. Like, I guess there's like this idea that the church or God or Catholics or whatever will accept you and love you no matter what. But so like you theoretically always have this community that's there for you but being queer I know that in reality that's not how it is so that really helped me step away and kind of I don't know stop my catholic face <laughs> I don't know if that made sense no totally yeah so, like, you think that it kind of accelerated the ending of your Catholic phase, but hypothetically, if you hadn't been queer, you probably would have deconstructed the religion way But anyway, that's a good question. I don't know. It's not super relevant because well, obviously think, that hypothetical is like obviously, but yeah, <laughs> I think at some point I would have, but I think that the process would have been a lot slower because I guess all of the more community aspect of Catholicism would have been more impactful and helpful to me. 
if I wasn't queer. Looking more into the faith side of things, um, what did your faith look like growing up and how involved were you? Um, Kind of already answered this, but what kind of community was there? Like I said, up until about high school, I went to church and did church things because it was an expectation and it was what my parents wanted me to do. Um, I would say that I've always or I was always more involved in church than the average person because both of my parents work for different Catholic churches. Um, Specifically at the time, both of them worked in youth ministry. So with my demographic as like a kid and teenager, um, so they would like host retreats and stuff like that. And I would always go on them and just kind of like learned how to fake it till you make it. Um, in high school, I started, like I kept doing all of those things that I was doing before, like going on a lot of retreats, youth group, mass every weekend. Um, but I started like actually believing in it just because I, I guess, been around that so much. I faked it till I made it a little too much. <laughs> um, yeah, the community, I would say, and maybe I don't have the best view of this because there's the idea that Catholics are all like really conservative and stuff like that. But it was actually like a very accepting community for a Catholic church um, at like my mom's church, which is the one that I was involved in the most. Um, but even then, there's still there's still those people that are the Catholic stereotype of being like old conservative white men. Um, but I think in that, I still managed to find a community that was good. But I don't think that I could find that at any church. I think I got pretty lucky in that. Yeah. So kind of pivoting a little bit, what did the gender roles look like in your faith community growing up? There, hmm, there's a lot of them. Um, I feel like they became really apparent when I was in high school or like, I guess just like during and post puberty, they become really apparent in like purity culture things. Um, multiple instances of like separating the boys and the girls and then they each get their own like talk um i'm not 100 percent certain what happened in the boys talks because i obviously didn't go to those but the girls talks would basically be telling them to dress modestly because that's what god wants and you can't tempt men or boys or whatever some of it was like well-intentioned of like not settling for a partner who doesn't care about you but then at the same time a lot of like gender roles in like marriage of like the man has to like do like I guess I don't know like court the woman in a way I don't know and then like the whole expectation of like having kids and then raising them in the church because having good Catholic children is like the most important thing somehow. Um, Yeah, it was a little, I really disagree with like purity culture and like that 
view of modesty because a lot of it was like victim blamey of like if you dress revealing then you're asking for it but yeah not great yeah that's an unfortunate cultural point to those some protestantism share <laughs> in an unfortunate and icky way what was the range of general perceptions of you know, diverse sexual orientation to gender identities most people would say on the outside that they support gay people but i think their version of support was often they support gay people as long as they're not shoving it in anyone's faces um or they're like still going to church um there was there's this one couple one of them was like a very active participant in the church and like volunteered a lot and stuff like that um and people would always bring her and her wife up when they talked about gay people because like she was really active in church they wished her wife was more active in church but like that's okay she's working on it um and like in their mind you you could be gay as long as you didn't act on it like you could be gay and you could get married but you couldn't have sex and that's what they were doing so they're a good example of a gay couple and i never liked that idea but yeah yes the token gays yeah if you're if you're if you're a good enough job at being catholic then yeah like because she was so active in church it kind of like excused the being gay part and you said that you had like a community of other queer high school students in your youth group. Were they also actively religious? Yeah, they were. I I went to youth group and I was also part of like the student leaders of youth group. Um, so like among the group of student leaders, there was me and probably three or four other queer people that I hung out with and they were all also very active. I know for sure one of them is an atheist now, the rest of them I'm unsure of. So they were at the time, not sure anymore. Even that you touched on this a little bit, but like, uh, would you be willing to share a little bit more about like your faith and journey and how it changed and developed over time? Yeah, like like clearly it did. But yeah, you, you you said that you just like started believing it because you were around it so much. Do you remember like a moment or like a- I do. Um <laughs> so I there's this one retreat or like company, I guess, that does retreats um and they're called Stupinville conferences. Um they're like very well known among like Catholic groups um, and basically it's like a weekend conference with like a few thousand other like groups from all around um, and on the last night of the conference after you're like super tired because you've been up since like 6 a.m. or something like that you've been getting like no sleep um, and you've basically just been bombarded with catholicism all weekend um they do adoration which is where they like take the consecrated host and put it in like the fancy monstrance and then they have live music that's all about like god loving you and 
like the priest like walks around with it and there's like a phenomenon that people have like big god moments during this adoration at Steubenville conferences um where like they basically said that they felt god's presence in that moment and then they like started believing in god um and i had one of those in the way that at the time i believed that i like had a god moment and suddenly believed that god was real but obviously now after looking back and like deconstructing the whole idea of those conferences and how those god moments like god moments in quotes i guess happen um like it's a combination of like i was saying of like you're tired and all that you have been hearing all day and all weekend is catholicism and like they really gear it towards high schoolers and they say like back at home you have all of these troubles and everything is so stressful school is stressful your friends but like here it's okay you don't need to worry about that god loves you and you can like leave that behind and just focus on god and then they encourage you to go to confession and like confess any of your sins and then like you're clean and you're good and like just hearing that all weekend and being so tired from like getting no sleep and then the live music, I think, okay, I frankly didn't, I'm, I'm rambling, but I didn't like fact check this, but I heard on, like I watched a TikTok about someone talking about um, like the idea of how being at like a concert or somewhere where there's like a lot of people and you're feeling a lot of emotions you kind of start feeling like more of a group and less of an individual and they called it collective effervescence and i wrote it down because i needed to remember that um i haven't like fact checked that fact checked that at all um but basically being in that room of other catholics um, and seeing other people like crying and having all of these emotions, um, you kind of start feeling them too. So that was kind of how that like what I thought was God's presence was actually just like me being tired and moved by like the other people around me and the music and just the whole weekend. Yeah, I've heard a lot of a lot of similar anecdotes, particularly from people who went to more like charismatic churches mm-hmm. or people who were raised like Pentecostal, where they're the the like feeling the presence of God is a very emphasized thing for them. And so there's like a lot of dancing and music and like group experience like you're talking about. And and so I've, I've heard like similar anecdotes, which is interesting because that's not like the type of faith tradition I was raised in. Very like sit in the pews and listen to the sermon and then sing the song together which I like, but I think that's that's very interesting and definitely, like, you're not alone in that experience. Yeah. I've heard a lot of other people. Yeah, so when did it all start to fall apart? <laughs> when, did you, when did you start to deconstruct? Um, I started deconstructing probably around when COVID hit um, because I think, like you were saying, all of the, like, upbeat group experiences is kind of how like I think it's like what a lot of people's faith is kind of based off of um like you can 
feel confident in your faith or feel God's presence when you're like around the community that it's based off of. Um, but like once I once COVID hit and I stopped going to church because I literally couldn't um, having that lack of the community that I guess made religion fun and interesting like because my religion in high school wasn't like yes it was going to church and listening to the priest talk and stuff like that that was only like once a week and then the other times were like going on a retreat where I get to like play games and like sing songs or youth group where we like do relay races or something I don't know like so much of it was those fun things that you can only get from group experiences and those weren't like those just can't be replicated online um so I guess without that I I guess realized that my faith wasn't as strong without those experiences um and I just had a lot of time on my hands <laughs> to like think about it. Um, I guess listen to other people's experiences with religion and deconstructing. Um, talking to one of my friends who was one of the queer, super Catholic people um, at my church, but like he was also deconstructing. And I was like, you've got a point. I agree. Um, and then honestly, just and then so COVID hit when I was a senior in high school. So like the high school youth ministry fun religion experience stopped and I like never got it back. Um, went to college and just like never tried to never tried and never really wanted to like find that again. Um, like I realized I didn't want to put in the effort to like find a faith community and I was a lot more happy doing other things on my Sundays and stuff like that. Yeah, we heard that. We've heard that from a lot of people about COVID being yeah. the the breaking point. Um, I wonder if there's like someone should do quantitative data. About Somebody's not us. Someone who's mad at us. Yeah, we're not doing that. But um, yeah. someone should do that to see how many people left. And we should see how many years like go by when if pe if people start to go by, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, not that I have quantitative data, but like my parents work for the church. And I know donations are down yeah. because people aren't going anymore. And they're kind of struggling. Um, going to college was great for me because I got away from my parents and that expectation of all of the church things that I did. Um, I guess just having autonomy let me decide that I actually didn't want to go to church. Um, even though in high school, some a lot of the time, honestly, I genuinely did want to go. Um, I feel like I probably, well, I, was Catholic and I stayed Catholic as long as I did because I didn't really have a choice in going to church or not. Um, because knowing high school me, I probably would have decided to stay at home and do homework or like watch YouTube or something instead of going to mass. Um, but I always had to every week. Um, 
and then being able to choose if I went or not, I I definitely tried a little bit at first. Um, but honestly, because the choice was there, not going was a lot more appealing. Um, so trying didn't last very long, honestly. How has attending college affected your like experience with your gender and sexuality? I think it's impacted a lot. Um, I would say, especially with my gender. Um, so I started questioning my gender in like middle school, probably. Um, but pretty quickly, kind of like in middle school, I started unpacking and then quickly closed the box again and kind of put it in the back of the closet and didn't really touch it um, until I came to college. Um, I just didn't have a lot of, I didn't see a lot of representation of people who are like me in terms of gender. Like in high school, um, like I use they, he pronouns right now and I never saw anyone using multiple different pronouns in high school like I didn't even know that was an option um like as and like as a demi boy where I'm like kind of halfway between like trans man and nothing um like I also didn't really know that that was an option in high school um and I kind of figured since I didn't fit into any boxes that I would just like stop trying to figure it out um and just like be cis for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess coming to college and joining GSP, I like got to see people who were just being themselves um, in whatever their expression was and using multiple different pronouns. And that was like perfectly normal. Um, and they were happy with that. And I guess that was the first time that I realized that Well, I realized on a superficial level that I didn't need to fit into a box. Um, But then I like actually started understanding that I didn't need to fit into a box after that. That's really lovely. What made you want to join GSP? I, all through high school, was in my school's GSA. I was the president for like a year. Um... So I guess going to college, I didn't really know what clubs I wanted to be a part of, but I wanted to be a part of GSP um, just because that has always been a part of my life. I didn't really think about it, honestly. Resources at UP have you found to be helpful in terms of supporting your faith or you know, just LGBTQ identity? Um, I haven't really used resources for my faith. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. I think I've lived in two different dorms that actually had really good um, pastoral residents. Um, So I think if you're lucky enough to be in a dorm that has a really cool priest living in it, um, I haven't like used them for faith reasons, like as like a mentor or anything, but just as like a friend, I guess, someone you can say hi to in the dorm. Um, Some of them have been really nice. Um, Resources for queer stuff. Um, Honestly, mainly just the community that I find through GSP. Um, 
I don't know, sometimes I'm a little too involved and I forget that like not queer people exist because I've just surrounded myself so much with other queer people. Um, but having that community and just along with that, people who understand and accept you no matter what. Um, so I've never had to like fight to have my identity and my gender or my pronouns or my expression understood by my closest friends that has been really nice and obviously it's different with like professors and like strangers um but the people that I surround myself with I never have to explain myself or correct them in any way you don't have to share at all if you don't want to but can I ask um like where you lived or who your pastoral residents were um, I was in Mailing with Father Jim, who isn't here anymore, um, which is very sad. Um, and I was in Corrado with Father Peter, and he is still here, and he's the head of campus ministry, and I think he's pretty great. But he definitely advocates for GSP um, among, like, admin, who doesn't really like us. Yeah. Um, so what is your experience with the relationship between gender slash sexuality and the Catholic Church? specifically at UP? Here, there's, in the way that I have experienced um, both faith and the LGBT community, there's not a lot of overlap. I feel like they're very separate and like you're either involved in campus ministry or you're involved in like GSP, for example but I honestly haven't really encountered any overlap. So it's kind of like not spoken about the fact that you can be both. Um, but I honestly haven't like attended any like faith related things that talk about it. Wait, GSP did a whole vigil on this. Okay, just kidding. There is some overlap. Um, I feel Okay, I feel like generally... Like the students are either one or the other, like neither, but not really both. Yeah. Um, I know that campus ministry hasn't really wanted to be involved with GSP. Um, for a while they had to because there was a rule that GSP had to follow where one of our advisors had to be part of campus ministry. Um but we changed that a few years ago. So yeah, and that wasn't like, we didn't really want them to be involved, but it was a rule that we had to follow. Um, but they didn't really, they weren't really super involved in the club. It was kind of, in my experience, a formality. Um, but recently, GSP and Campus Ministry did a candlelight vigil on National Coming Out Day. Um, I think since Father Peter started here, um, and like just because Father Peter was in Corrado and me and a lot of the other leaders lived in Corrado, um, we just kind of like chatted and realized that we could collaborate on things. Um, and Father Peter was obviously super down for that. And like he had ideas that he wanted to do too. Um, so we did this vigil. Um, which was great, obviously. Um, but also, I think that 
Father Peter would love to collaborate more, but we've definitely like we have to have a boundary at some point of like we can't collaborate with campus ministry all the time because obviously the intersection of religion and queerness can be a tough subject for some people. Um, so we kind of drew the line at the vigil. Yeah, I think that it definitely wasn't explicitly religious either, you know? And yeah. that's uh like why I think it makes sense that there aren't a lot I mean, why why there can be that collaboration without students really being both religious and queer. Because like there's the events that are like technically intertwined, but then like students' experiences as individuals interpersonally that like holding both identities at UP, I think, is super catered to. Yeah, definitely is not. Can well, what we've heard from other interviewees. Yeah. That's fair. I also, I think it's so wild that one of the GSP advisors was required to be involved, like to be a priest or someone involved with campus ministries. Yeah. Because that is not a requirement that like any other club has ever had to meet. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a really interesting progression, the history of GSP, which we will definitely be getting into more <laughs> on this podcast. It's crazy. It's always an evolution. Even just a few years ago, that was, you know, arguably a form of discrimination. How does your gender and sexuality affect your thoughts, feelings, and it's about I think there's positives and negatives in my thoughts about UP. Um, I would say with the administration, it has not helped my thoughts about them, um, especially in my experience with GSP. Um, we get kind of a lot of pushback from admin. Um, we've had to fight to do a lot of things that we shouldn't have had to fight to do. Um, like the first drag show, that was really hard to let admin, to get admin to let us do it. Um, but they're honestly generally pretty anti any big show of queerness that we do. Um, I would say Father Peter speaks up for us and Dr. Kelly speaks up for us which is great, um, but I feel like we've kind of scared them a little bit. Um, and so they let us do things, but they're not really happy about it. Um, like lighting up the bell tower rainbow, they didn't really want to let us do, but they let us do it anyways, um, which is good because we would have put up more of a fight. Um, with like the students, I have only ever had good experiences surrounding like being queer um like there will be like an occasional wrong pronoun but like not maliciously i'm sure that there are people who are homophobic or transphobic on this campus but very small numbers and they don't make themselves known enough for me to know who they are so i'm cool with that has the university policy and the rules um of the university um, affected your gender and sexuality experience in any way or your experience at UP as a student? I would say, thankfully, personally, it hasn't super impacted anything. Like, nothing has happened to me personally where I wished or, like, needed that my gender be protected. But even just the knowledge that it's not... Yeah. ...doesn't sit right with me. Um, 
the fact that we don't have gender neutral housing sucks. Um, even though that's not like in the policy, but I, it's like something that GSP has considered uh, pushing for. But any time that we have, we've gotten a pretty immediate no. So yeah, no, I think something interesting about policy and the housing with even not gender neutral housing is just that on the housing form you're required to state if you are trans or not um and you're yeah. given the option to say if you are comfortable housing with a yeah. trans person or not yeah i so. think i remember before you had the option to say if you were comfortable being roomed with a trans person or not and even though that's like kind of a weird question to ask i would rather someone say that they're not comfortable being roomed with me then have to live with them um and also another thing about the housing form um for me and a few of my other trans friends are there's like the whole list of gender options um and our gender keeps being changed back to specifically cis are assigned gender at birth so like anytime I re-log in to Ira's life, it says that I am a cis woman. That's so weird. Yeah. Wow. And um, if you're looking for a roommate or you're like making a roommate group, you have to all have the same option checked. So like, um, what? <laughs> so like my friend who's a trans man had to change his gender in the system to non-binary in order to live with like our non-binary housemate that's so funny um so like he was like going at it and he was like no one's showing up like he was really confused and that's because no one else had like a trans man (laughs) yeah that sounds like kind of a problem that is a problem see this the solution that like folks that i know have opted for is just to live off campus yeah. but that's not a great solution and yeah yeah i think that there's definitely a range of opinions about of of like from trans people on it too um especially like some people are would rather like say it so that it's like known for, to their roommate and some people it's like really not your business and i think that um it's definitely a good to like know that someone's not accepting of you before you room with them um but also if gender identity was a protected class and you did end up living with a transphobic person you would be protected yeah now exactly. you are now transphobia is a allowed so uh <laughs> yeah so i yeah for for me as a trans dude i uh lied said that i was a cis man um because they don't get to choose like i don't get to choose that i don't want to room with someone that i don't get that option of like yeah. other aspects of identity um so you don't get that option and that's just me being spiteful and not like actually protecting myself and putting myself first um, which, you know, range of opinions. Like, I, obviously, I was going to say that I was open to rooming with a trans person. Like, I wasn't going to... And if you check the box and look for other people open for rooming with the trans person when I did, there wasn't a lot of other people who said yes. Um, so, so I think that they just had a trans person and then someone who said that they were okay with rooming with trans people and there just weren't a lot of them. Yeah. So if you press yes, you're kind of immediately with the trans person okay that's, for men. that's just that's for very very wet huh. because when it says are you comfortable rooming with the trans person you have three options yes 
no or no preference? I put no preference. Okay, I put no preference. I think is like, what, is, what is the difference between yes and no preference? I think like, in you... male identifying people, not a lot of people press no preference. And if you press no preference, you have a pretty high chance of ending up with a trans person because of the small pool. <laughs> Which male identifying listeners at UP <laughs> start saying no preference. Or yes. Or whatever. Or yes. Oh, sorry, this is the whole side tangent about our experience and I was like, yeah. We, this is more about us than you, so... I think this is good information. Anyway, does the relevant university policy affect campus climate and the social dynamics and the attitudes on campus towards queers? I would say it does in the way that me as a trans person and other trans people don't feel supported. I wouldn't say that it encourages people to be transphobic at least in my experience um but just knowing that that is not protected does make me feel uncomfortable i have had a lot of campus jobs and as a non-binary person who is openly non-binary and uses they he pronouns there's not really a way for me to be stealth at work like there's not really a way to be stealthily non-binary mm-hmm. um and i had an experience at one of my jobs where my boss was explaining basically when you are graduating and you're getting like your cap and gown and everything like that you also um like specify how you want your name to be pronounced um, when you walk across the stage. And you do that by basically going up to these workers on the computers and you pronounce your name how you want it to be said. And they like have to like type it in phonetically and kind of play with it until the like Siri kind of voice says it right. Um, And in the past that had to be your legal name. Um, it doesn't anymore. Um, from what he told me, um, it has to be your legal last name, but it can be whatever first name you go by. Um, so he was basically explaining this to like the group of us who were being trained. Um, and he was talking about how it doesn't have to be your legal first name. It can be whatever first name you go by. And he said, for example, Jesper is not your legal name, Right. But you can still put Jesper. And that's just like, I don't think he did it maliciously, but it was just very like getting outed. And if I was more stealth, that could have been like very harmful of like being outed in that workplace. But like, can I really do anything about that? Not really, because my gender isn't protected at the school and it was an on-campus job. So, yeah. Sorry. It's like, it's fine. yeah, there's a lot of those like microaggressions and like a step above microaggressions. Yeah. What is your idea of the best way forward for Catholic schools and queer students? What do you want to see tried? What makes you hopeful? What do you think is the next? That's a loaded question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think having gender be protected, obviously. Um, I think having better housing options for queer and trans students um like as 
a GSP leader, GSP as a whole, and like me personally have been contacted by prospective and incoming students about our housing options. And it kind of sucks when I have to tell a non-binary incoming freshman that they basically make you pick a side. Um, And I wish that I and all of the incoming freshmen who just want to have a good freshman experience at the school didn't have to do that. I think admin shouldn't push back against what GSP wants to do as much. Um, Like, I'd wish that they just didn't have this underlying idea that we're going to, that we're like being nefarious about the events that we plan. Obviously, we don't have bad intentions, but they somehow think that anything big, any big display of queerness um, is anti-Catholic in some way. Um... There was also um, this whole situation that happened um, a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where um, some friends and peers of mine tried to make a, like, compile a list of staff and faculty who identified as queer or allies. Um, And... If you opted in to be on that list, you could get like a little decal to go on your door or something to put in your email signature, something that could show to students that you were a safe space. Um, And that got shut down. Um, And basically that or any idea that was similar to that, um, we could not do. And it got a hard no from administration. Do you know why? We never really heard why. Um, we were working with, we, I wasn't really a part of it, but they were working with some people with the Moreau Center and um, basically the Moreau Center um, employees that we were working with had to tell them that they got like an absolute hard no from admin and they couldn't help them like continue with that plan. Um, after that, GSP leaders met with Dr. Kelly and Father John Donato, and they basically said that they wanted to implement ally training for all staff and employees at the school. And that was very much an empty promise because there has been no follow-up on that. We have sent follow-up emails, um, or we did for a while, at least a semester after that. Um, They said that they wanted it to be a continuing conversation and the conversation never continued. They never followed up about that ally training. I don't think anything has been done about it. Um, Anytime that someone has brought it up in conversation with either Dr. Kelly or Father John Donato, um, they basically said, oh, we're working on it, we'll get back to you. but clearly that's never happened. And I want there to be some kind of formal ally training for the employees of the school. I wish that the um, ally list could be a thing. Um, And then like, it sucks that those can't happen, but it also sucks that we're trying to have a conversation with administration about it. And the conversation is very one-sided and they're not following up on their promises. So I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that they would follow through on their promises because I think the promise of having ally training be required is really good. 
And we were really excited when we heard that, but clearly it didn't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to this episode of Queerness in the Shadow of the Holy Cross. This has been Shane Rule and Zora Richardson. Our advisor is Dr. Brandy Daniels. Our cover art is done by UP Gender and Sexuality Partnership. And our music is done by our bestie, Casey James. You can find all this information and more, including references and resources, at our show notes page on the Chirp Lab website at chirp-lab.com.